This is GSAP Conversations from the Graduate School of Architecture, Planning and Preservation at Columbia University in New York City. I'm Dean Amal Andraus. Thanks for listening. Hi, welcome. My name is Aisha Ghosh. I am a third year master's in architecture student at Columbia GSAP. And today I am joined by Anupama Kandu, who started her firm in 1990, and we'll be talking about a variety of issues. Hi, it's nice to meet you. Nice to meet you too. So given the current local and global situation, I would like to take this opportunity to speak with you on how architecture can engage with and attempt to resolve the myriad of problems we face today, from environmental to social and cultural issues. So my first question is one of your projects that I thought was just so incredible. It's the Voluntariat Home for Homeless Children in Pondicherry, which was completed in 2010. This project seems to encompass many of your ideas around social issues, building with locally produced material, and creating low-cost, low-impact structures. And I wanted to know, how did you approach this program, and how did you integrate all of these ideas together into one cohesive project? Um, usually, most of the projects of that nature, you know, that like that with a social relevance, with a low budget, and lots of difficulties um, that I'm involved in, they are also opportunities to find the to negotiate between high tech and low tech, and to find out what is the right balance. And you know, um, since everything else is constrained, I think these projects are wonderful opportunities to. Uh, research uh, alternative technologies and in a lot of cases like in this one it's not as if it's directly replicable so I would like to talk about that aspect it's a technology that involves baking mud houses in situ so obviously it's uh, as crazy as it sounds and um, this has been enabled by a Californian ceramist uh, called Ray Mika about whom I did my PhD and um, I'm fascinated when people attempt things that are impossible, but driven by some kind of ideal that, if made possible, it could lead to a lot of uh, benefits. So the idea behind this technology is that mud houses are treated as kilns and stuffed with ceramic products, including other bricks and so on. And then the whole kiln, which is a house actually, is uh, fired. And then the products are, uh, you know, uh, generated through the construction of the house and ideally the house is fired as a consequence now what happens is typically when you make bricks uh, when you produce bricks in particularly in um, you know the high end kilns you you spend about or even in general in most kilns you spend at least 40% of the energy that uh, you generate you know like you need 980 degrees centigrade or something like that so when you heat that you have to produce that much heat you inevitably lose about 40 percent of that heat that you generated into the kiln walls again and again each time you fire bricks we lose that much so Ray Meeker's idea was that if you could you know manage to sort of keep that heat and cook the kiln and if the kiln were made as a mud uh, structure then you would fire the house as a consequence. So you would get the, ideally, the mud house at the cost of a brick house. On top of it, you don't need cement. So for me, all these, any technology that could lead to any breakthrough is worth attempting. 
and and if it doesn't work it's still worth trying so this was uh, this voluntariat was a project that we were involved in a very you know we weren't hired as architects uh, um in a typical way we were trying to support that project and we i organized uh, that along with student workshops etc so there's a lot of learning involved for everyone in the process and uh, yeah so that's that's the interesting thing the interesting thing lies in the process i mean that's amazing because it's almost as if by using this you know very traditional and vernacular process you are making a space that's even more special for the occupants that gives it a specificity to its own site yeah see the when you spoke about global and local i w- want to stress that uh, we are the same species so this whole question of global and local is actually just if you think narrow mindedly we are local and if you think of the big picture you're global we're the same people you know same species everything so uh i think uh the difference is in my way of thinking i think we are not so different as it we think i i really think all the differences are so minor and that's why i i can live anywhere it's because i i think it's just the climate and it's the same earth it has different conditions and that when the same person is moved here and there they uh, you know adapt or they respond to those differences uh, i wanted to say something to the fact that you said vernacular the thing is i think the the knowledge knowledge is always universal global the application ideally is local better if it's local because it helps you to respond to the finer demands of the project and so while trying to be local i'm also careful to mention that actually these all of these technologies that look vernacular and all that they are actually none of them are traditional you know yeah. like it's a very major technological breakthrough to be able to do this type of thing especially what ray has achieved and i mean i i did my phd on that because i was so intrigued in about you know i studied his processes and there's so much more to be done in this so every time you you know so a lot of the other technologies that i've been involved in um, sort of developing too have that kind of quality they look vernacular and they look kind of much more local than they are you know because uh, you know sometimes the material sometimes the skills are local but the actual knowledge that is involved is it doesn't exist necessarily or it's not the habitual way of doing things that's amazing that's actually perfect that leads into the next question which is really about your keen sensitivity to materiality and from the brick house that you built for yourself which was then replicated for the 2012 Venice Biennale and then that compared to the really innovative use of ferro cement yes in this year's full fill homes mm-hmm. at the Venice Biennale it's very apparent that materials go well beyond aesthetics for you and you speak about how experimentation with building material relates to creating low cost architecture as well as reducing environmental impact and i wanted to know if you could speak about how you relate these ideas to clients and push them further within your projects um the first thing i want to say uh, as a context to you know to how i approach materiality of architecture i just want to say that even though I'm credited with all of this material research the origin of that uh, kind of inquiry for me came from my involvement 
my my deep belief that architecture lies in the non-material actually because architecture is all about occupying the void and shaping the void and designing the void like we are sitting here it's like we don't know what the what is made of we know because we've entered through the door and we know but look we are the quality of space the proportions uh, what kind of needs we have they are all all of that happens in the negative space and not in the materiality of the architecture so material for me the way i look at material is that materials are there to hold the space you know and every every home of every animal and bird and who make their own the beehives the ants and birds uh, you know tailor birds all, all of them create a little space around them of protection and that can be made with any material so and that the reason to research it is because every place you go to has a different material conditions and you have different things that are easily available locally and things that are only possible to order from a manufacturer's catalog it makes all the difference whether some the pro, what what you know i'm not judging them because every project comes with its own need for you know every kind of space you want to build has an appropriate solution or an ideal you know there's a judicious choice to be made when you choose your materials and your technologies because along with the material you'll be naturally engaging certain skills whether they are machines whether they are hands whatever it is and to what extent what experience do people already have with that or not you know so i think uh, similar just like for example if you've got wool around you know and you you know it's cold and then you can either make felt or you can use you can knit you can use the wool without making yarn there's all kinds of ways so that's where the people come in and that the geographical and the topographical conditions allow you know there's certain materials to be available and then there's there's the people and their level of social and economic development all of that so those become really difficult questions i think and they are unending and there's so much more to be done and that's why i do the material research but some i wish people would talk about the non material quality mm-hmm. in my architecture as well because sometimes the technology looks very new or different and there's a, like over emphasis but if you actually visit those buildings i can assure you that the materials will be incidental to the thing and not like the main thing it's yeah. not it's not the form and the it's it's all of that well i know? feel like you're talking about a much more kind of well-rounded experience of just space right. so you are using these different methods to create an atmosphere when you occupy the space right not only an atmosphere but it's also the the geometry the construction of you know if i need a dome then i am not going to be able to use certain materials and i'll have to find the right materials to make that dome if i didn't want a dome but i uh, i need to use that material i might still land up with a dome because of the material choice you know mm. so what i mean is that there are so many factors that that shape architecture materiality shapes architecture but the architecture i mean so it's just like it's a two way street and i think it's not important to answer if the chicken came first or the egg and that's that's the real good architecture for me where you cannot say you know it's like when you see a person you cannot separate how they look from who they are because what you are inside is what you see outside now it depends on the people's consciousness if they can only see one of the dimensions or both yeah that's very interesting the ability to actually start to be present in the space. Mm, yeah. I actually want to go back to a point you made about the global and local comment um because it is really true that right now everything that's happening around the world is happening in different degrees in different places 
but it's very well connected and your practice itself is quite international. So especially that combined with your teaching all over the world. Teaching is definitely international more than the oh, practice. Maybe. Quite. And your global exhibitions as yes, well. True. I yeah. wanted to know what your methods are and how do you root your work in a specific culture or in a place and with sensitivity and especially because we are in a school, do you start to change how you teach or what you teach? dependent on where you are so no i don't uh, change uh, uh, my projects are i i'm very sensitive to where i am always for everything you know like whatever i do you know what i eat what i drink everything it depends on the place yeah I, i'm affected by the place a lot but in terms of teaching i would uh, not uh, really think i i would like to think that my way of teaching is always has always been universal because i think the next generation has to be prepared to practice anywhere and they come from anywhere you know even if i were to teach in a very local situation context say in india or in madrid i would still teach with my whole global experience because i don't want them to look so narrowed down to their thing i would like them to look at even if they don't travel i would like them to see the big picture because i think architecture calls for that because architects need to have an overview otherwise architecture cannot be so good you know because if you're not aware of the larger issues whether they are political social economic i think if you were an artist and you didn't need to if it were only about your own process it would probably be sufficient to not go there but i so i would say yes the teaching i love to teach in the us actually i would love to um, be more frequently here because i think there is that universal quality in these universities that are not everywhere because we don't have students from everywhere teachers from everywhere so there's a culture that is very global and universal and i think it should be like that so regarding my method like you asked i think one of the things i try to expose my students to is that i would like them to retain the their deep contact to reality what happens often in academia is that uh, people who are studious they sometimes don't have time to just live you know or you know what i mean so i've often <laughs> seen that uh, you know sometimes common sense is an amazing thing to have <laughs> and also to have pleasure to know to live to be lively to be you know to just um, interact and to know reality so i think architect because i really believe in architecture and its potential for social change and everything i think if people weren't connected to reality then they would produce something to that's too much about only themselves you know so what i try to do is to make them face those realities that i think are important not in in each and every design studio project for instance you'll see in the presentation um, some of the student work but rather than waiting for them to go for practical training into offices they're not going to face it in the office either you know because they'll be just they'll not know enough so they'll be put on to desk jobs and to produce in typical offices i'm saying so i think academia should put them already on par with everyone you know because i think the younger you are the more advantage you have to already be aware of what's happening outside because people from a previous generation like ourselves we have been taught in different ways and after time has passed we need to convey all of this that's happening outside and where when the students are going to land when they graduate 
they should be directly able to they should like the, people assume that it's acceptable that they are in some kind of bubble for a couple of years and then they have to come out and again have a transition and i don't i don't think it's so good because i think they'll have to unlearn a lot i would rather prefer them to never lose contact with the reality so what i do is i believe those four four areas that i want them to be in touch with are real materials real scale real people and real place you know mm-hmm. so for instance if i expose them in a design problem to whatever they're doing inquiring some aspect of it is done with real materials with real scale there are real people they interview if you're designing a house you have a fictitious person whom you're designing it for it's not fictitious you you have you choose some artist in your circle if you're doing an artist residence mm-hmm. and you know you're you've got a person in mind or you actually go to the botanical garden where we did something and then you meet the you meet them you you find out your own needs not because i gave a program you know these kind of things help a lot and the students produce a very uh, sensitive project they can demystify a lot of their ideas very quickly when they build models and real scale have this kind of exercises they have the confidence uh, they don't they they don't have to fear reality until they came to university they were already in it so why go out of it in the first place you know what i mean so i try to just make them connected to whatever um, the project is be real about these four qualities real scale is also very important architects uh, think in models mm-hmm. and they cannot sometimes visualize the the real scale so yeah there's definitely a culture of locking yourself in studio and working and working without actually going outside and engaging and Look if you were to make a model with another material in another scale and if that thing can balance somehow because of of your glue and you'll never find out that that thing is never going to stand mm-hmm. so if you make some things you know you just make things happen and you keep you're so spending so much time with those things that you start believing in in the strength of those glues and things and you don't even realize in the end you know that this thing is not going it's anti gravity you know you yeah. you need to confront so it's okay it's okay sometimes that you do a 10 day workshop you face though the weight of materials you see what's happening you know it's you won't feel you're making those changes because my teacher didn't like it you you'll find that out on the first day when that thing does you'll adapt you change your design yeah so that's what i would would like them to do it's faster Yeah, that's true. And I really like that you unpacked so much of how you approach teaching because I did want to ask that through your teaching and your exhibits, which seems to have offered some opportunities to explore more of your ideas, how do those start to intersect with the buildings that you produce and you know is there a negotiation between these three aspects of your career yeah. as well as how do they influence each there, other there is there are, they are like this tripod here you know they are the three <laughs> pillars i i think when i'm just on one of those legs i'm just shifting the weight to that or my awareness to that but basically collectively they shape what i do because when i teach it's like i don't have the the notion that i know something and i have to now transfer that to the student i continue the same inquiry that i'm doing or the con- the kind of environment that i have in my office that leads me to produce a certain kind of projects and i try to create that kind of learning environment for the student and that kind of inspiration that they would 
feel encouraged to pursue particularly the areas where they have doubts because to take risks to follow your idea and to to be able to not procrastinate but to find out what is the exact thing that you need to find out to pro- go ahead for me essentially those it's part of the same world i don't have walls within my world like it's like like i have children you know so that doesn't make me like uh, i i i do things at home i do you know it's all one world you know they the things i teach them the things they teach me and the same happens in school or in the project the same happens with other craftsmen contractors engineers i think basically it's uh, there is an individual quest but these things like architecture are not produced as solo pieces mm-hmm. there's a whole process you know and there's a whole thing but you i mean it's still a choreography required because there's less like an orchestra you you have to conduct those you take the responsibility so there is an authorship but there's a huge collective exercise there going on and i think uh, so it's not a singular thing and and everything flows into each other very naturally that's amazing i mean i feel like by having all of these different aspects in your career you're able to build towards like you talk about a greater knowledge a collection of knowledge i must uh, say that actually i always wanted to um study more than i you know when i when i started my practice at the age of 23 okay and it's not see a lot of good things happen in my life because of difficulties you know external difficulties like for instance i wanted to go and study all my friends were going to the us to study after we graduated from bombay and uh, it was a very routine thing you just applied in, you did your gre you did this and that so i did all of that as well you know but i used to work through my uh, college years as well and i really would love to start a practice or like i work for any i wasn't fixed about starting my practice it developed that way i wanted to study further so but i couldn't for various reasons i had the longing to learn more to be in a learning environment because i know that there are things you can't do if you're not in that environment and anyway i did the second best thing so what happened is when i did my start my practice instead and then there was no time to go and study certain things but i always dreamed about doing a phd doing a masters doing whatever it remained like but i always thought i'll do it one day and i landed up doing it many years later in berlin but i never came set out to be an academic to be a teacher i was just passionate about architecture and i think teaching learning and all of that is just a natural part of your own grooming and your social responsibility to the next generation so what happened is i had um remained in a remote area I never even thought that people would know my work and all of that so i converted it into some kind of a lab for myself and i did all the research on site like an applied research and all these projects that you see were without research funding or anything with normal clients budgets a lot of things got tested and tried and i documented them and i followed and meticulously took years and years patiently finding out certain things so what happened is at some point they called me to teach from various places and then one thing led to another so you know and then when i had the earliest opportunity while teaching in berlin i did the phd but then i was always teaching learning looking after kids doing all, all of that is like you know you have to just balance everything in your life yeah so i'm going to shift gears a little bit because i wanted to talk about how affordable housing is an area that's very important to you and your work and especially being here in new york it's really one of the most pressing issues 
that architect's face. And um, I kind of wanted to know how you envisioned how architects, given our scope of agency, mm-hmm. can address this pretty endless need for yeah. more affordable housing. Yeah, there are many things that uh, many other people, apart from architects, who have to do their bit. But because the problem is overwhelming, most people do nothing at all. Uh, That's what I've noticed. Because, uh, look, have you noticed that the real estate, like at least in India, like in Bombay, there's a price per square meter of an apartment, according to the zones, like, you know, South Bombay costs so much, this and, you know, it could be any architect. It could be built with low cost or high cost materials, whatever. Nobody's going to believe that if you build with another technology that the price of that real estate will cost any less or more. That's a fact. Because there's so many more people involved. But that has always, that was one of the things that I used to really wonder. Why does a very shitty apartment cost the same as a not so shitty apartment? You know, like what I mean? Like in New York, I remember, what proportion of your salary do you pay for a horrible apartment? You know, a lot. It's almost everything. And that's the same. It's the same whether you're in London. It's the same whether you're in Madrid. If you're in a rural area, you have some other reasons why you can't afford. Basically, we've created a world today. We, as in our race, you've created a particular kind of urbanization and a particular kind of development and progress in which we can't actually afford to have a home. It's really something, if I if I do put it in any other way people if I don't want to talk in statistics and numbers because it's too boring people look at like I said the bees make their own you know nobody has a housing problem usually they just look for materials they have they solve their thing they they do you know all species do that and humans also did whether they lived in caves whether they built mud houses whatever then we built certain kinds of cities and the kind of socio-economic decisions we've made and so on has led to unaffordable housing for anybody. In any context you go, and you know now you can look at what urban age data or look, compare all cities. They have all kinds of different problems, but the common problem they have is that nobody can afford housing. And earlier, and you know, like, the, like in Bombay, the people who lived in slums, I come from Bombay, so I was always worried about affordable housing. Yeah, It just happened to be my good fortune or good fortune whatever that this has become a global problem so suddenly my research is relevant (laughs) you know but what I mean to say is it it worried me always ever since I I I couldn't believe that that much had to be spent on having a terrible house so I mean I couldn't understand why why a bad looking thing or whatever it was could cost so much and then over the years I've had different aspects of research and even when I was in Australia, and I realized, you know, people have produced such over-regulated um, standards, such um, complicated, like, you, I'm sure you cannot even paint your wall without ha- having some kind of, you have to be licensed and you'd have to do a course in painting maybe soon. Earlier, you know, you have more and more, you've defined a very high standard. So what happens as a result is that a lot of people will not, not be able to contribute to their own housing from the time where they did everything themselves to today where you can't do a thing yourself a thing like I, I at least in Germany when I was in Berlin people were painting their windows and their apartment you know and we don't even do that in India you know people I mean there's this this whole thing of having so many experts and but this is only one dimension but even if you so when I went to a rural area and I 
you know, I started this material research at that time, not so much for affordability. Mostly it was for affordability in environmental terms, not in economic terms. So I wanted to try to produce, you know, have a kind of palette of, you know, technologies with which you could develop alternatively. So in the meantime, I, I realized if you build with certain kind of things, you can avoid the paint and the plaster altogether. And I, I tried to reduce all of those bad things, you know, that are environmentally um, a concern. But then I realized that I could, because I also thought it's not possible to influence the costs. But then eventually I went more and more into affordability issues. And I think we have a very big role to play because all the materiality of of with which architecture is made, all of that is directly related to material choices by the architect. And then if it's the developer who's, regardless of this, is selling it at the same price, that's a different matter. That's an area that, you know, just like if you have um, solar panels and you have to still pay the electricity bill, if you would have to, if you harvest your own water, but you have to still, you know, sometimes when you do decentralized wastewater treatment, you still have to pay the municipalities. So then you're paying double, you know. That's a different thing. But those are those are the parts that, society has to regulate but architecture definitely i mean i have built in the meantime many houses uh, i realized that everything that you save is going to make it easier for the person and then i also realized if you allow people opportunities to participate in the making of their house then they pay that much less and because they don't have the money to buy the house they'll have many more savings because the loans will go down drastically they won't be paying for years because there's, you find, so you don't have to build with technologies that are so alien for them. You know, if they could do things, if, if I have tried to some, you know, and that's the, that's the way those, I have been informed by those realities to take certain decisions and build in a certain way that people could enter and take charge of their, you know, bring the housing back to the people. <laughs> That's a pretty great motto to have, bring the housing back to the Look, people. Look, even in New York, if you were given, and I found that in Berlin, because I think Germany is quite clever in some of these, you know, the people in Germany, they still know how to build everything. Every child knows how to do things, you know. Mm -hmm. They are very self-reliant. So if you would make the frame, and even if in a high rise, if you if you could only paint and plaster your walls and you know, there's a lot of things you could do. You could lay the tiles, you could do the floors. There's a lot of things you could do. And the, the Germany did that, you know, when they had to, re after the reunification. That's how they financed their modernization. They made schemes where people could help themselves to complete their houses. And um, the problem is we are quite cynical about all this, you know. We, we don't believe that it can be different from... But... It's going to get worse and worse if this trend continues. So then we'll have to. Yeah, I mean, I hope um, I hope these ideas start to kind of change how people approach making affordable housing. But uh, we will have to wrap up this incredible conversation. And I thought it'd be nice to um, end on a note where I just wanted your opinion and uh, affordable housing is so important, but... What are the most important issues to you that you think people practicing architecture today should focus on? And what do you have in terms of advice for speaking to architectural students or people who are, like me, about to join the working force for the first time? I think one of the 
problems i i can't say what other people should think you know i don't like to influence them uh, yeah. because you never know you might be wrong you know one shouldn't but i can i can just say one of my biggest concerns is the growing social segregation everywhere and this is something that really bothers me because i think all these problems which now manifest even politically everywhere not only in one place it's everywhere because there's a growing large numbers of people who have a very different standard like in bombay the slum non slum dwellers are now the minority comparatively because you know that yeah. the 50% is like more than 50% are living in informal housing so i think the fact that all of this is growing all over south america africa huge areas i mean india is one sixth of the planet so i think this is a huge concern and i think not only for affordability reasons i think it's very important to see how much of how uh, this this whole thing of allowing people to participate is not just like oh like i like the child no I, you can come and help me no i think it's a serious thing it's a thing where it's the only way like there are things that in a house that are not urgent that could be done in your weekends and so on so we we have to we'll have to redefine how architecture can be what is the standard of architecture of what is the standard of housing that we promote etc because ultimately the kind of standard we've got now that is very safe very good and very perfect can only be had by some and very by few so this is a huge concern i would um, really welcome this being taken very seriously in a research level in universities everywhere and prototype projects being built in different cities to make people believe that other ways are possible and the other thing i worry about is uh, definitely environmental concerns so i think it's possible to build with significantly less materials and if you build with less then already you can build with at least half if not you know less i'm i'm saying significantly less because a lot of things we do are it's just fluff you know we don't need that we use all of that because we don't know really how much we really need we're over designing everything so i think we really need to go back to knowledge uh, to real knowledge of things because uh, people are used to using very like i mean you know habitual general sort of uh, this what we see everywhere around us is highly over designed and i think only when you had the precise knowledge would you be able to reduce your materials significantly the consumption of building materials has to reduce that and there should be certain things that you can only use judiciously everybody shouldn't be wasting because the problem is enormous and what we are seeing today is nothing the kind of urbanization that's going to take place in the next 15 years i mean there's the kind of forest we are going to cut is going to be quite a bit another last concern is about climate change related issues there's going to be a lot more disaster relief type things required and everybody's used to making very quick quick fix things and then wasting a lot in that very immediate you know so i think a lot of um, thinking has to be done to find ways to build very rapidly very quickly build in a way that it's resilient in in, the, in a way that it's um, it's also able to withstand seismic forces and things like that we have to have many more typologies of of that kind of housing so i think we really need to you know research more seriously yeah and it was incredible and very much looking forward to your lecture tonight the lecture will be posted on the columbia gsap youtube page 
Thank you. Thanks for this uh, discussion. You can find more information about the school on our website at arc.columbia.edu.